As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Hello and welcome to Unbelievable, the show that aims to get Christians and non-Christians thinking about the topics that really matter to all of us. Before we hear from today's guest, just a quick reminder to visit premierunbelievable.com for more shows, articles and resources. And if you register or sign up for our newsletter there, you will automatically be entered into our competition to win a free book. If you enjoy listening to Unbelievable, please do consider rating and reviewing it on your podcast platform. Today we are talking about another important topic and we would love to hear your thoughts on this so do get in touch by emailing unbelievable at premier.org.uk. But for now, let's jump in on today's discussion. Hello and welcome to Unbelievable, the show that gets Christians and non-Christians thinking about the topics that matter to all of us. Today, you might have guessed it, it's nearly October 31st. A lot of kids are out there planning their costumes, grottos are going up, ghosts and ghouls are everywhere, there's sweets and candies being stocked up, or maybe you're avoiding it altogether. There's that big question, should we as, if you are a Christian, should you be avoiding Halloween? Should you not be? Are you the type who stocks up on candy or closes the curtains and pretends you're not home when people come to the door. The topic is obviously Halloween. Where does it come from? Who celebrates it? Is it darker than we make it out? Should Christians be celebrating it? Is it harmless fun? Or is it part of something much more evil? There's plenty to get scared about and plenty to talk about on today's show. And I know that you are all in for a treat here. Now, I want to introduce my guest today. We have Angela Usi. She is a ex-New Ager. She has an incredible story. And she talks about that story on her website. I'll read a little bit of how she describes her journey. She spent most of her 20s um, forming sexual trauma bonds with unavailable men, addicted to weed and entrenched in the occult. She was convinced that she was a self-healer. And this went on for a decade. She practiced yoga and she did self-help books, the whole nine yards, self-care, manifestation, meditation, and still found herself depressed and hopeless until she found Jesus. She has a podcast, Heaven and Healing. And so we'll get into her story today. We also have Ray Comfort, a well-known evangelist, the founder of Living Waters. And we're going to talk about some of his views on Halloween and how he uses it as an evangelistic opportunity to share his faith. And we'll also be joined by Matt Arnold, who is the editor of the Christian Parapsychologist Journal. And he dives into a lot of these interesting topics, spiritual experiences, the paranormal. And so we're going to have those three perspectives today. We want to welcome Angela Ray and Matt to Unbelievable. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Great great to be here, Billy. 
So, so Ray, I want to start with you on this topic of Halloween. You know, I, I've heard your story of, of coming to America and sort of having a reaction to Halloween and the way that it was celebrated. Let's let's talk about that. What was your initial response when you saw how people really engaged in that day? Yeah, firstly, I'd like to acknowledge your you're all in for a treat today. I thought that was great. Um, yeah, when we came to the U.S. in 1989, we came from New Zealand, which is a fairly isolated country, and I was horrified. My wife and I went to the local Kmart, and it looked like we'd stepped straight into a horror movie. Uh, we'd never seen anything like it. It was truly a culture shock. And so, um, and when I say uh, a horror movie, I mean just ghastly masks and spider webs and ghostly looking figures, and I absolutely hated it. Uh, and so when Halloween came around and everybody celebrated it, we would, as a little family, squat in the living room and watch TV with a light off. And when people came to our door, we didn't answer them. We did that for two or three years. And then one day I thought, hang on, I'm here as a Christian to reach the uh, world with the gospel and people are knocking on my door. And so I opened it and started giving them gospel tracks and ended up giving out about 100 tracks that night. And so each Halloween we've used uh, as a springboard to reach out to the unsaved. So that's my little testimony. And so this has become, for your ministry, Living Waters, this has actually become, I, I think you, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I've heard you say your biggest day of evangelism, one of them um, in the year. Is that accurate? Oh, yes. It's the evangelism day of the year. It's, it's when... As I said, you don't have to go door knocking. I'm horrified at door knocking. And I admire Christians that do it because I remember as a new Christian, I knocked on some lady's door, very aware that Jehovah's Witnesses had stolen our thunder. And so I said to her in a very sincere tone, uh, hello, I'm not a Jehovah's Witness. And she said, well, I am. So I actually um, <laughs> bristle, at the, the bristle at the thought of door knocking. And, and, and so I admire Christians that are able to do it and take the gospel to strangers. But when people come to our door and knock on it, I just think this is a God-given opportunity to offer them a gospel tract. And they take it, put it in their little bag, and the family take them, and uh, we think it's just a wonderful night of the year. Well, and, and you know, I want you to all feel free, by the way, as we're talking through this, to, to jump in. If there's something you want to say to respond to one another, you can absolutely do that. Um, but Angela, I want to I wanna go over to you, and we are going to later on in the show, in another segment, get deeper into your actual story, how you found faith, how you left the New Age, but you've come out of the New Age, right? And so you have this unique perspective. What is your take on Halloween and how it's commemorated today? Yeah, so um, a lot of people I feel will be expecting me to go into sort of like the origins of Win, And I hate to disappoint everyone, but that's really not my intention here. I'm actually in large agreement with Ray that this is a day of evangelism. I love the idea of handing out gospel tracts with or without candy. Um, I had someone recommend putting Jesus Loves You stickers on like a Reese's cup or something. And then having a gospel track there. And actually I might be jumping ahead, but what I plan on doing this year, because I don't think there's anything more valuable is that I am going to not only hand out the gospel tracks, but I'm actually going to offer prayer to the families that come around. Because let me tell you, my neighborhood is saturated with the demonic. It's like a demonic altar on every street corner in this neighborhood. It's, it's the, it's the ghastly, grotesque sort of uh, decorations that Ray was talking about. They're just everywhere. And so I, 
I sense that, you know, there are people in this neighborhood that do need prayer because I believe that this is a form of bondage for someone to be spending thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars on these elaborate setups. There's something there that that is deeper than just um, than deeper than just an idol. It, it's 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 a type of bondage. It's um, it's an allegiance almost. And so, you know, these things are are standing out. And there's, I'm going for a walk and this thing is speaking word curses over the whole neighborhood. It's speaking word curses to all the children. Um, so I'm really, honestly, the origins of Halloween are very dicey. There are a million and a half different resources. You could basically find what you're looking for on this topic. I'm less interested in the origins of this. And don't get me wrong, I'm all about origins when it comes to occultist things. I'm more about the principle. I'm more about, is this really... Is this really a holiday that that enables what we are commanded to do when it says die to yourself, you know, yield to the spirit and not the flesh? Is this really my best witness of Jesus Christ and the new life that he has given me if I'm going to go out and be conformed to the world and celebrate with the world what the world celebrates? So that's kind of my take on it. Yeah. No, that's that's really interesting, you know, and and Matt, let me come to you on this because you obviously might have a little bit of a different perspective on on Halloween. And then I want to get reactions from from Ray and Angela. But when it comes to Halloween, is it something in your view that that Christians can or should celebrate? I think um, Christ has not given us a spirit of fear, but of knowledge, of understanding. And I think that when we understand the true nature of Halloween, where its origins come from, that it is actually purely originated in a Christian church, that there are no pagan influences in the origins of this. And then when we actually start to go, well, what are the other things that can be involved in Halloween, such as where did the trick-or-treating come from? Well, it came from guising. What happened there? Well, it was praying for the dead when the people went around, when the poorest in society would go around and uh, beg offer uh, prayers for the dead um, at the villages, villages' dwellings um, and in return for soul cakes. When we look at this, we realize that Christianity is not all sweetness and light, that there, the Bible contains much that is incredibly dark. There's a lot of evil things that go on in the Bible, and if we sanitize life, we're missing out on actually appreciating the beauty that is in society as a, uh, by uh, comparing it with things that are, are, are evil. Um, so I don't have any issues myself. And I think this is one of these debatable things, This uh, that you know it's right for some, it's not right for others. And I think that we can actually just go, well, let's add knowledge to our faith and uh, as Philippians says, and when we add that knowledge, we can become mature in this and we can understand that there are certain things that, yes, we can indulge in, we can get involved in, and there are other things that, no, actually, we can't get involved in. So I don't think it is as black and white as people often make Halloween to be out, out to be. So, Ray, you know, after hearing what Matt had to say there, you know, about, you know, this may be good for some, you know, not good for others. You you look at this holiday as strictly being something that 
is going to be celebrated in a way that you're, you're going to be evangelizing. How do you respond to that notion that maybe people might engage in different ways with Halloween? Yeah, it really is a matter of conscience, Romans 14. But as a, um, a Christian, I would never celebrate Halloween. Um, it's not because of its origins. It's because of what it portrays. It portrays evil. I mean, there are kids that show up in fairies and Superman outfits, but mostly when people come to your door, they're not dressed nicely. They're dressed to frighten you. Horrific. And the scriptures tell us, Philippians 4, 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, is there any virtue, is any praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So there are certain things that Christians should indulge in, and there's certain things that should have the liberty to indulge in, and there's other things that we shouldn't. Um, but that's not the point. The point is that people are going to hell. That horrifies me. I spend most of my day horrified, praying with a, a sense of unbelief that every day 150,000 people are dying and thinking of the words of Jesus. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, for it's better to enter heaven without an eye than go to hell with both your eyes, where the fire is never quenched and the worm never dies. And so when someone comes to my door that almost certainly is unsaved, everything within me cries out, I've got to reach out to them. I, I, every day I go to the local college twice a day to reason with the unsaved um, because I care about them and I love them. And when 100 people come to our door uh, on one night of the year, I, I'm just delighted to give them the good news that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And to see people given a tract, and when I talk about tracts, I'm talking about tracts like this. This is one of our most popular tracts. This is a big money tract. What kid doesn't go crazy when he's given this? He's not expecting something like that. And it has the gospel on the back. This is called out giant money. We have million-dollar bills, 101 of the world's funniest one-liners. And so if you don't like giving them a, a piece of candy because that's partaking in Halloween, give them an apple and tell them it'll keep the dentist away. But whatever you do, open your door and reach out to the lost, because that's why we're here as Christians. We're to be a light in the darkness. Charles Spurgeon said, have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you're not saved yourself. Be sure of that. So love heads up the fruit of the spirit. And if we love the unsaved, we'll take advantage of this night when they come to our door. Yeah, you know, it's Angela, I'd, I'd love to get your reaction on that, too, because some might argue, OK, well, if you're doing anything on Halloween, you're partaking in it, right? I, I went to a church growing up where we would do a harvest festival on Halloween night, right? And it was an alternative. It was at the church. And some would still say, well, that's still partaking in Halloween. You're just doing it a different way. How, how would you respond to that sort of maybe critique? Um, well, okay. I definitely disagree with the harvest fest thing that churches do. I think it is an extremely passive take on the night. I think that it's it's more of like a defensive response. Like we all have to kind of, you know, as as Matt said, the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear. And to me, the kind of like harvest harvest fest thing is like, let's all just gather kind of like in our little Christian bubble and and, you know, keep the kids from what's going on out in the world. And and we can still make sure they have their candy and stuff and maybe they'll dress up, but nothing, nothing gory. And so I think it's an extremely passive thing. I really disagree with the Harvest Fest take. Um, I do think that we as Christians are meant to be on the offense of the gospel. And that's why I do agree with Ray's take that we should be we should be sitting outside ready to share the good news with the unsaved that are walking by. Because if you look at these people as, as, as unfortunately going to hell, how can you not tell them of the one who gives you life? 
So Angela, what would you say to those who would say, well, kids are missing out, you know, on opportunities. If you don't celebrate Halloween, they're missing out on what their, what their friends are doing and what culture's doing. So I would say to that, um, I'm actually pregnant right now. I'm expecting my first daughter in the new year. And honestly, I'm okay without, with her missing out on the world. I'm okay with her missing out on the culture. I'm okay with her missing out on witchcraft. I want her to know that she has been set apart before the foundations of the earth, that we serve a good God who has called us to be a peculiar people. And, um, I, I want her to, to see that there is nothing that the world could ever offer her that is greater than the life that she will have in Jesus Christ. So she can miss out on the world, but I never want her to miss out on Jesus or seeing what evangelism is like and just, and, and what, what, a what a fun, I want to say fun because living in the Lord is so much fun. Uh, what a fun life it really is to just be on fire for God and to really just place him above anything else. So, you know, Matt, I want to come back to you on something that came up a little bit earlier, and it has to do with the history of Halloween. You you had brought this up, but I want to circle back to it because there's a lot of debate and discussion around the origins of Halloween. Can you take us through from your perspective what that history is of how this day came to be? Okay, so there's been a festival of martyrs, uh, of, of Christian martyrs, that's been around since about the second, third century. And it's been celebrated on various days, such as um, just after Pesach um, and the Pesach week by the Syriac Church, um, week after Pen the Sunday after Pentecost by the Greek Church. Um, the 13th of May was the festival of St. Mary and All Saints. That was on the uh, 609 AD by Pope Boniface IV. And he created, he, basically, it was a rededication of the Pantheon in Rome, the Pantheon, all gods. It was rededicated to St. Mary and all saints. So there was this um, redeeming of, of the, the old ways um, for the, or, the, the all gods uh, from the Roman time. Now, when you get to um, around about 835, that moves to the 1st of November. Now, the idea that James Fraser from his Golden Bough came up with was that 1st of November, oh, well, that's near to Samhain, or that's Samhain. So therefore, it must be that the church was actually pagan at redeeming Samhain. But unfortunately, Samhain, um, the, the, it's, it's an Irish thing. The 1st of November uh, was not in the Irish All Saints. The Irish All Saints celebrate was celebrated on the 20th of um, April. And so the, it was the French, the English, and the German churches that picked the 1st of November. And at that point, the, the uh, Pope Gregory IV decided, let's go with that church uh, rather than the other ones. So... Samhain really is not linked with uh, Halloween, except they're just the same same date for the festivals. Uh, it really is the very name Halloween comes from All Hallows Eve. It is a festival of it's a Christian festival of to remember all the saints that went before us, 
uh, as Hebrews 12 says, you know, we are surrounded by the great cloud of witnesses. So that's what's going on with the origins of this. Um, Samhain is nothing to do with this. Even uh, Professor Ronald Hutton, of uh, he's a professor in, I think it's Bristol University, who is professor of pagan Britain. He has said in his books, The Stations of the Sun, that this is not a pagan festival. And he is a pagan himself, and he's telling his own people, look, don't buy into this Samhain being sort of like uh, associated with Halloween. It's not. Halloween is rooted firmly and squarely in the remembrance of the, the martyrs and the saints that have gone before us. It is a purely Christian origin festival. Yeah, that, that is really interesting. And, you know, Angela, I come back to what you were saying before, too, that the concern, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but the concern is more of how is this being celebrated today or commemorated today, right? Um, but understanding that history is also very, very important. Uh, I want to get reactions from both you and Ray, but I'll start with you, Angela. Um, before we go to to a break here, we've got a couple of minutes, but you know, when you when you look at the patterns happening in culture right now, the occult is really prevalent. You've got surveys showing 21% of young people um, in America are using, you know, crystals and tarot cards weekly. Um, 43%, I think the number is, they're using it at least monthly. Why do you think there is such an explosion of that happening more generally right now? Yeah, yeah. Um... Well, that's a really loaded question. I do think a part of it is that, honestly, we all have this like inkling for the supernatural. And I think a lot of people that have were raised Christian, which is not my testimony, but it's from what I've heard, people get raised Christian, but they don't see the power of God in their churches, but they see the power of the occult. And so that is one of the reasons that I do see. Now, in, in the context of, of this particular holiday, the aesthetic of the occult and, and modern day Halloween have 100% blended together. And I do agree with Matt that the origins are, um, you know, like I said at the beginning, they're dicey. You can find what you're looking for on the internet. I've seen ton of a ton of pagans even satanists even say it comes from sawin and then i've seen the alternative that's why i don't focus on it i don't focus on the origins i focus on what are satanists saying today i don't know if any of you have heard of john ramirez but i highly recommend looking up his testimony he's an ex-satanist he was like a high priest of the of satanism and he was even married on halloween and and then um, other other folks that you you look at, like Jenny Weaver, they they all have these these testimonies of being witches and warlocks. Now, my story is a little different from that because I actually, although I was a witch, I would not have identified as a witch at the time. Um, so these are all folks that did identify as witches and warlocks that take Halloween seriously and think that Christians are weak because we don't take things seriously that warlocks take seriously. Um, and now I, I disagree with pressing in on the saw win issue. And then there's also a quote by Anton LaVey that is actually a false quote that where he's, where it claims that he says that, Oh, it's like the one night a year that Christian parents let their kids celebrate the devil. And I see that used a lot from Christians as a reason why we shouldn't celebrate it. Whereas we're, I don't agree that we need to use false information as means of making a case against this holiday. So that's why I didn't want to go there. Um, 
as Matt was talking, I was reminded of Colossians 2, 8, you know, beware, be, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men or Mark 7, laying aside the commandments of God, you uphold the traditions of men. I'm personally in a place in my walk where, you know, I, every day is all saints day, let's be honest, um, because every day belongs to the Lord. But I don't personally adhere to these traditions. You know, biblical feasts are one thing, but these traditions that come after the text, it's not it's not something to me that is worth upholding in lieu of all of the things that you can't walk into a Walmart without seeing that Halloween represents. And I, again, I'm all about dying to self, really embodying, you know, what scripture says. And I don't believe that partaking in these holidays, trying to justify these holidays is coming from a heart posture of wanting to die to yourself or that it's coming from a heart posture of being the best witness that we possibly can be for Jesus, because that's what this is all about for me. It's it's about Jesus. It's not about what I want. It's not about what my flesh wants. It's not about what the world wants. It's about, does this grieve the Holy Spirit? Does this quench Holy Spirit? Does he think this is entertaining? So when really approaching um, anything, that's what I ask myself. So I want to come to you in a minute, Ray. Actually, Ray, I'm going to give you, when we come back from the break, I'm going to let you take it. But before that, because Matt, you were brought up a couple of times there, I just want to give you a chance to respond to anything there that you uh, would like to respond to. Well, first of all, John Ramirez was not a Satanist. He was into Santeria, which is definitely not Satanism. Um, so those that claim, or even if he claims to have been a Satanist himself, that is not strictly true. He was brought from Santeria. That's what he practiced. Um, so again, we need to make sure that we're not bearing false witness and we don't deal in falsehoods. Um, a lot of this, I find, when you look at the claims made by some types of Christians regarding Halloween, um, there are a lot of falsehoods and Christians we should be dealing with truth. So if things that are patently false are being spouted by us and we are seen by the world to be peddlers of untruth, then how are they going to take us seriously when we talk about the truths of Christ? Um, we need to be whiter than white when it comes to being uh, witnesses. We need to make sure that the truth that we say is the truth and not our own personal truth. Um, so... In terms of things like uh, celebration of this festival, I think like everything, you have to make sure that you are fully aware of what you are celebrating uh, if you want to go full hog with this. Um, myself, I I don't dress up. I'm 50. <laughs> it's, it's not my bag. Um, but there are people who enjoy dressing up. Now, there's dressing up and there's dressing up. And I would say, well, you know, if you've got little kids dressing up as zombies and werewolves and all that sort of stuff, then let's have a conversation about what zombies mean in Christianity. What does work do werewolves mean? I mean, Onward Christian Soldiers was written by Sabine Baring Gold, who wrote a book on werewolves. He was very much into researching and writing about the folklore of the things. He wasn't frightened of the dark. And this is, again, the thing we need to be know knowing who we are and whose we are. We are Christ's, and we have nothing to fear of the darkness. In fact, Jesus says he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so, you know, we can be confident in who we are and who goes ahead of us, who's gone ahead of us into the afterlife and returned, who's resurrected. You know, 
we can look at these things and we can say, well, we can have a don't touch approach. But then Jesus, God did not take a don't touch approach of the world. He was in the world. You know, he, he loved the world so much that he gave his only son for it. And so therefore we are his ambassadors to be these point, pinpoints of light in, in darkness. And I think, you know, this, this festival itself, it's rooted in light. It's rooted in giving thanks for those that have gone before us. And yes, just like any other Christian festival, it's been massively commercialized. But are we going to stop celebrating Easter and Christmas just because the world has decided that it's going to make a fast buck on it? Well, we are going to come back in just a moment. we got to take a quick break here. And we want to know what you think about what you are hearing. So you can send us an email and let us know. Our email address is unbelievable at premier.org.uk. You can also head over to social media. It's at unbelievablefe for X, also known as Twitter formerly, or over at facebook.com slash premierunbelievable on Facebook. If you want to interact with us over there, we still have plenty to talk about on this topic. You're listening to Premier's Unbelievable with me, Billy Hollowell, and my guests today are Angela Usi, Ray Comfort, and Matt Arnold. Don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment with more. Welcome back to part two of our discussion here today. We're talking about Halloween. We're talking about uh, evil and so much more. I've got Angela Usi, Ray Comfort, and Matt Arnold. Ray, coming back into the discussion here, we just heard a lot from both Angela and Matt. One of the questions I had asked Angela, um, and feel free to respond to anything that they just said, but I wanted to ask you, when you see these patterns in culture of, of new age, of occultism sort of growing, what do you think is driving that? I think it's a sign of the last, the last days. The scriptures say, uh, in the last days, some shall depart from the faith and become seducers of spirits. Um, or begin listening to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. And we've got to remember that scripture warns us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And much of what we're dealing with is the demonic world. And um, Angela mentioned before about wanting to teach her little child um, just the joys of serving the Lord. And I, I think one of the greatest things you can do for your children is instill in them the fear of the Lord, a doctrine that's uh, despised by much of the church and all of the world, the fear of the Lord. But it's the beginning of wisdom. And so what I suggest to parents, if they want to teach their kids the fear of the Lord, take them to a refrigerator, open it up, get out an egg, and let your kids look at the egg and then drop it on the floor. And uh, you say, I can't do that. And yes, you can. Gravity will do it for you. And watch the kids' reaction and say, kids, what happened? They say, the egg broke. Why? Uh, because of gravity. Gravity pulled it to the floor and it smashed. And then just say, look, we're surrounded by natural laws that are fearful. Uh, the law of gravity will do the, to you what it did to that egg if you jump out of a plane without a parachute. You just go splat on the ground. Let their eyes widen. There's the laws of electricity. Touch raw electricity and you're going to cook. It's horrific. And then teach your kids there's such a thing as the law of sin and death. And when kids understand what death is, death is punishment from God. The wages of sin is death. God is paying us in death for our sins. Like a judge, look at a criminal who's committed multiple murders and can main, maintains that he's still a good person, the judge would say, I'm going to show you how serious your crime is. I'm giving you the death sentence. This is your wages. This is what's due to you. This is what you've earned. And sin is so serious to a holy God, he's given us the death sentence. Our death will be evidence to us that God is deadly serious about sin. And when kids understand the fear of the Lord, and that God is holy and that he means what he says, then they begin 
to un- then they can begin to understand how much he loves them, that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. We earn the wages. We're, we're heading for hell, but God intervened because he loves us. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, sent Jesus to die on the cross, take the punishment for the sin of the world. And it's as simple as this. We broke God's law. Jesus paid the fine. If you're in court and someone pays your fine, a judge will let you go, and it's legal. And God can legally take the death sentence of us because Jesus paid the fine in his life's blood, rose from the dead, defeated death itself, so that everlasting life could come to those who repent and trust in him. When you teach your kids that, then giving out a gospel tract at your doorway at Halloween is not just giving someone a funny tract that they'll enjoy. You are telling them how they can be free from the power of the grave, that death itself has been destroyed. You're telling them that the gift of God is eternal life. So when I see families come to my door dressed in in weird clothing and wanting candy, etc., I see them as human beings that are fearful of death. Mm. God's put a cry in their heart, he's placed eternity in their heart, and I'm giving them water when they're dying in a desert. When your kids understand that, and they realize there's no greater honor than to share the gospel with unsaved people, then they'll be delighted to partake of what you're doing for them. They won't need a harvest festival to do an alternative. They'll say, Mommy and Daddy, let's open the door and share the gospel with these unsaved people. Mm. So I, I appreciate that response. And, you know, as we sort of have been talking about Halloween, one of the interesting things about each of your stories, you've all experienced, seen, or investigated the occult or evil. And so kind of moving a little more broadly in this segment, in the next segment, I want to give each of you a chance to share your stories. And so we're going to go one by one, but I want you to also feel comfortable jumping in, asking questions of one another, even though I'm asking the questions, I'd love for you to feel comfortable doing that. And Ray, since you're already talking here, I want to start with you because in your book, Out of the Comfort Zone, which is not exclusively about you know evil, um, it's about a lot of other issues surrounding your life and, and your ministry, you talk about times where you saw true evil manifests itself, where you actually um, experience these things. And one of those stories was a man named John, um, who you spoke about at a youth church camp encountering him. Can you tell us a little bit about that story? Yeah, it's one uh, chapter in the book, chapter 10, it's called Hair-Raising Experiences. And it certainly was for me. I was at a youth camp just teaching, and a guy came up to me, he said he was having problems. I think it was depression or something. We're talking 40 years ago, so forgive my memory. He came in, I sat him down in my room, I sat him on a bunk, and I said, look, let me pray for you. So as I began to pray with him, he slid off the bunk onto his back and then back arched across the floor, pushing himself with his legs in in a blackout state, making noises you wouldn't believe, and having a spirit of discernment, I thought this is not normal human behavior. And so I began praying, exercising prayer, and all sorts of demons manifest and noises like you wouldn't believe. And air was coming, and, and this is no exaggerating. I, I am a Christian. I believe all liars will have their part in the lake of fire. There was air coming out of his mouth like a vacuum cleaner on steroids and causing his saliva to hit the chest of drawers probably six or seven feet away from where he was lying. It was truly like a horror movie. So when he had come to, another guy heard the sound, noising. I sent away. I said, come back with a glass of water for John. He came back to, sat him back on the bunk, and I said, what on earth have you been into to get in such a state? And he said he'd been drinking blood with his girlfriend while, while smoking marijuana, getting the blood from the local butcher 
and drinking it in a, in a sort of a satanic rite. And he'd been listening to heavy metal rock music. I think one of the albums he was into was called If You Want Blood, You've Got It. And so that was just one experience. And it, it really established the fact that when you read scripture and there are people manifest demons around Jesus and uh, demons tried to destroy a young boy by throwing him into the fire and uh, they cried out and, and Legion uh, was into self-harm, trying to uh, harm himself. You realize it's true when the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. You know, Matt, when you hear when you hear stories like that and your investigations and the work you've done, what what comes to mind? What do you what are you curious about? What what resonates most with you? Um, well, um, I think for me, trying to understand what actually demon means. I mean, we have a modern understanding of demons that comes from Buffy, from the exorcist and those sorts of things. Um, if you go back to about 200 AD, Tertullian is the guy who really kickstarts the idea that demons are totally and utterly only ever evil. Um, if you go back to the first century um, Jerusalem and that, demons in the Greco-Romano-Judeo culture could be both positive and negative. Um, and when we look at diamond itself as a word in the in the Bible, um, it can either mean a god of the nations, it can mean um, an intermediary being that is from one of those gods to humans, or it can mean, and it predominantly means, um, deceased human spirits. So when we see possession taking place, I think a lot of the time we're talking about um, interference by human spirits that have passed over rather than non-human spirits um if you look at if you look at the um if you look at the uh ideas um there's a johann blumhardt who is a 19th century lutheran pastor and he did some exorcism work he did a lot of exorcism work and he used to send the spirits that came out to his church to hear him preach um so you know and then he looked back and reflected on things like uh, mark 5 and luke 8 uh, with the, the demoniac legion and his his ideas seem to resonate with what the first century church believed that demons were actually predominantly human spirits that um, hadn't found their peace in Christ um, when when he talks about the unclean spirit it goes through dry and arid places when it's cast out and then it returns to its host um, unclean has associations it's it's a levitical ritualistic thing about the dead so we're talking deceased human spirits here we're not talking necessarily about non-human spirits go ahead ray you were going to respond yeah matt do you have any bible verses to back up the fact that demons are deceased human spirits my thought is it's appointed a man once to die and after this the judgment which judge no it says beings. after that judgment it doesn't say after that the judgment there's a final judgment, but there's a, an initial judgment when we pass over. Um, and So do you have any verses to back up what you're saying? These are human beings that are just floating well, around? Well, if you understand what diamones, demons, means in the cultural context in which these verses are written, you will see that they are human spirits predominantly, although you have to look at the context of these. So I'm talking about reading the Bible through the eyes 
the mindset and the cultural understanding of the original writers, not a 21st century person. Do you have any Bible verses to back that up? Yeah, look at Mark 5. The demoniac is filled with unclean spirits. The unclean spirits. Yeah, it doesn't say that he. It doesn't say the demoniac wasn't possessed with other. It people. says unclean spirits. It says unclean spirits. Yeah, unclean spirits. Yes. That's demons. Which is unclean spirits. Beings. No, we're talking. If you look at the passage, it says he was filled with unclean spirits. He's a demoniac, but he is filled with unclean spirits. I think what you're reading is the Bible through the 21st century mindset not through the original eyes and understanding of what the word demon actually means. And pneuma akathartos actually means uh, to do with the unclean, to do with the dead. If you look at the Levitical laws uh, in Numbers about when you touch an un a dead body, you become ritually unclean. And in the mindset of the, the Greco-Roman Judeo understanding of this, you would see that these are departed human spirits. Well, we'll just have to we'll have to agree to differ. Well, there. we can yeah. agree to disagree, but if you read it through the original context, that's the conclusion that you come up with. I can read it through the original context, and I don't find that. If you look true. at one Samuel twenty-eight, uh, the the woman at Endor is a Baalet Aishat Oh, you mean the witch at Endor? No, we don't talk the word witch because that is comes from uh, uh, King James, who had a aversion to witches, and so therefore. Uh, put the word witch in there. It's not actually a witch. If you read the original Hebrew, it is a mistress of the ove. The ove, O-B, with a uh, little hat on it, that is a departed human spirit. Um, this is academic uh, literature that it's talking about this. So Samuel was brought up as an Elohim out of the ground through the action of an ancestral spirit that was within the ghost mistress of uh, Endor. Well, they're called familiar spirits for a reason. They're called Yudonim. They are Yud deceptive spirits. Familiar spirits is a different term. It's Yudonim. It's not the Overim or the Ove, which is a okay. human spirit. If you look at this in the, sorry, if you look at this in the Dictionary of Deities and Demons in the Bible, which is an academic work, you will see when you look up Ove, it actually refers you to spirits of the dead. So it's, the Bible has spirits of the dead. It has the Itim in Isaiah 19.3. It has the Rephaim in various places, not the, uh, not the historical ones, but when in the poetic literature. The Rephaim are the shades. They are the, the noble dead, the ones that rise up to meet the king of uh, Babylon when Isaiah 14 talks about it. You have Phantasma. The Bible is literally loaded with ghosts of different types. So Matthew, so in your view, you would not see demons as fallen angels or as, you know, that would not be a paradigm that would fit into your theology? They're a subset of uh, demons. Fallen angels would be a subset of uh, demons, yeah. But that's how they would have seen okay. them. You, you've got the gods of the nations, which are the ones from Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9 that were appointed over than these the 70 nations um those are some of the heavenly hosts that fell and god put them in judgment over uh, the 70 nations but yahweh is israel uh, israel is yahweh's portion um but then you've also got um the various other places as well so ray i want to come back to you on this i know we had a little debate there a discussion about the nature of what the demonic could be or or is 
when you you had numerous other experiences that you described as well in the book there there were there was a second incident with two girls that was even more dramatic as you went through and feel free to to dive into that experience as well but you know as you've been in ministry for a long time and you've encountered evil what what has this evil shown you about god what have you learned about god through encountering that Oh, the greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. When you come up against demonic spirits, and we all do as Christians, every day you get a, a, a battle uh, against that which is evil, temptations to do that which is wrong. Uh, the key is to submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Um, I think the, the greatest lie that the devil tells us is that we, uh, we can't reach the lost, and that's our agenda. And I, I really don't want to forget this whole talk about Halloween and evil um, is that is that we have a we have an agenda to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, and I love the fact that Jesus said to go number one, he said to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, and my agenda is that if someone is breathing, they need Christ, they need the gospel. If they're not saved, they need to come to the foot of the cross, repent and trust in Jesus. And then their eyes of their understanding will be opened and they'll see that we uh, wrestle not against flesh and blood, that this is a demonic battle. And they'll clothe themselves with the armor of Ephesians chapter 6, uh, which is um, the prerequisite for every Christian who wants to be successful in battle. Um, we, always, we always have victory in Christ. I think I shared something the other day um, with you about uh, watching sport, watching rugby. Remember that that uh, analogy I used, Billy, where my wife and I, when we watch rugby, we won't, we won't watch a game live because it stresses us out because we get so caught up in the game. So we watch it as a rerun, knowing that we won. And because we know that we have won, we never get stressed. And we're living in very, very uh, fearful times. We've got the demonic realm. We've got what's happening in the Middle East. We've got um, so much of the church just having a form of godliness, but denying the power of God. They're falling away from the faith. And these are fearful times when men's hearts will fail them for fear of that which is coming upon the earth. But we must never forget that we cannot lose. The Bible says of Jesus, he shall not fail nor be discouraged. That's in the book of Isaiah, because he always had the victory. He knew he should not fail. And that's what we've got to remember as Christians, that with all that which is against us, and there's certainly a lot coming against us, in the world you shall have tribulation, that we cannot fail because God's for us, and if God's for us, who can be against us? Yeah, and that's a, and that's a powerful message for the times that we're in right now. Uh, Angela, you're, you've listened to this little debate here that just went back and forth on this, on this topic, and we're going to get into your story um, in the next segment here, but is there anything you, wanna, you wanted to add or jump in on on the discussion? Um, well, I mean, to be fair, I don't have nearly the years and backdrop of ministry as these two gentlemen have, but from my experience and from my understanding of scripture, it's that I do, I do believe that demons are predominantly, you know, more within like the, the Nephilim region. Um, and, you know, speaking from my own experience, just in the occult there were encounters that I had, particularly with my grandmother. If anyone is just listening, I'm using air quotes when I say that because that's what propelled me into the new age to begin with was she died. She was my best friend in the world. I was desperate for connection. So I started going to mediums 
And um, the medium, you know, she knew things about me. She had no business knowing. She was describing my grandmother. She was she was telling me what my grandmom thought about me, all things that I had heard from my grandmother herself. Um, but of course, that's the familiar spirit that Ray had spoken of. And so I basically yoked to this thing. I, I was like, oh, it's grandma. Great. So for from 2014 until I got saved in 2021, I was I was essentially in communion with a demon at all times. I, I wanted it to touch me. It would touch me. I would ask it to hug me. I would pray to it. Um, and right after I got saved, after I radically came to Jesus, there was a moment where I felt it uh, approach me. And I yelled at, I told it, I said, you know, and I, I knew nothing about really, I really, I kind of didn't know anything about demons or, or anything of that nature yet. I was so new to the faith, but I, I just knew in, in my spirit that I had authority to tell the thing to leave me alone. And so I, I was doing the dishes. I dropped my dishes and I said, whatever nasty, unclean spirit that has been posing as my grandmother for this past decade, you need to leave. You go in Jesus name. You never come near me again. Get out of my house, get away from me. I mean, spent a couple minutes doing that and I never felt the thing again. So, um, that kind of, that, that whole, that, that taught me the authority that we have as Christians, as Bible believing disciples of Jesus Christ that we have over these principalities. Um, but when we're in agreement with them, they kind of just have full reign over our lives, which that thing did for a very long time. So, you know, Matt, I want to come to you on this and, and we're going to come back, Angela, to your story, but you're hearing this and Matt, you're, you're a Christian paranormal investigator, which is a title that I'm sure some people in the Christian world react very interesting, interestingly to. Um, so let's start. That. How, do, how do people react to you when they hear that that's the work that you do? Um, predominantly when it's a Christian, we have a conversation that the initial fear, having had a conversation with them, ceases and they realize just what that actually is involved. The idea that I'm a Christian paras uh, paranormal investigator running around like Zach Bagans or whatever is just nonsense. That's not what happens at all. I'm actually a trained, accredited uh, investigator according to the Association for the Scientific Study of Anomalous Phenomena, ASAP. And we don't get involved in Ouija boards or anything like that because that, personally, I don't have um, you know anything to do with that. But if there is a place where there's reported disturbance, where there's an issue, then I think as a peacemaker, a blessed peacemaker, we have to find out first of all, is this a genuine phenomena or is this just something like air in the radiators? Is it, uh, there is psychological needs that need addressing by those that are being uh, disturbed by this issue. Um, so it is, it's definitely not like the telly at all. It's, you know, the, the still small gentle voice listening lots, both to the person, to the presence that the, the place and to to God and using our loving God in using our mind as well as our body and seeking to bring peace and healing and wholeness and I believe to both sides of the veil where necessary so when you hear and and we're going to go to a break in a moment here but I wanted to give you a quick second to respond when you hear 
Angela share what she went through. We talked about a number of things here, obviously mm-hmm. the nature of, of what demons are, and we have some different ideas. And Angela actually has another idea with Nephilim there that mm-hmm. you know is another prevalent thought on that, which we don't have time to get into. But if somebody came to you um, like Angela and said they were ex- experiencing that with what they thought was a grandmother, what? how would you explore that, investigate that, heal that? Okay, so first off, you sit them down, have a conversation, just listen to is this bringing peace to them or is it bringing fear to them now fear isn't necessarily a bad thing because the angels appear to the shepherds uh, and say fear not that's a big thing because when you have a paranormal entity appear um, you're going to get scared Um, but it is a case of is this genuinely her grandma if it is we can pray for her grandmother Um, is there something that is that needs addressing that prayer can help with, um, because I don't believe that the, the dead just go to sleep and they're in unconsciousness. Um, sleep as a metaphor is beautiful because this, when we observe the sleeper, the sleeper still exists, uh, but we can't enter into their their conscious awareness of what's going on in the, the dream state. So when the Bible talks about us being asleep, it doesn't mean unconscious, it just means in a different state of awareness. That, the, the living can't access. Um, but I would just say, you know, look, if it's causing you extreme fear, if it's causing you to become dependent upon your grandmother rather than sort of like go through the grieving process and uh, let them go into Christ, um, then there's something unhealthy going on there. Um, certainly there can be impersonations, but I am, we don't actually find any impersonating spirits in the Bible except one sent by God to King Ahab's prophets um, to, to lie and cause King Ahab to go to battle and end up dying as a result. That's the only impersonating spirit that there is, a lying spirit, and it's sent by God. Um, we don't find any other impersonating spirits in the Bible. We are going to be going into our third segment here in just a moment. We have to take a break. But when we come back, Angela and Ray, I'm going to give you a chance to respond to this because this is actually a a big topic. And then we'll get into your story, um, Angela. If you are watching this, we want to know what you are thinking about what you're hearing and seeing. You can send us an email. Again, our email address is unbelievable at premier.org.uk. You can also get in touch with us on X. It's at unbelievable fe and we're on facebook at facebook.com slash premier unbelievable we still have plenty to talk about on the other side of the break i'm here with angela usi ray comfort and matt arnold don't go away we'll be back in just a moment Welcome back to part three of our discussion here on Unbelievable. We're talking about Halloween. We're also talking much more broadly about evil and the stories of our incredible guests, Angela Usi, Ray Comfort, and Matt Arnold. Now, at the end of our last segment there, uh, Matt went through some some of his thoughts on how he would heal a situation like what Angela was describing with her grandmother. Uh, Ray, I want to come to you first on this uh, because obviously you very likely have some different ideas about what you would do in a situation like this or what you would recommend. So how would you heal a situation where somebody like Angela is coming and saying that they're interacting with what they believe to be a deceased loved one? Yeah, it's obviously a demon, a familiar spirit. But what mm-hmm. I'd like to do, if I may... I'd ask Matt, could you very briefly share your testimony, how you were born again? Um, yeah, sure. I went to a Baptist church and 
I accepted Christ into my life as Lord and Saviour back at 14. I got baptised shortly afterwards. In 2014? No, nine, uh, sorry, no, at the age of 14. It was 1987. Oh, the age of 14. Yeah, 1987. So it, you got me a little mystified here. Do you believe the Bible, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God? Yes. What do you mean by inspiration? Well, that it's God-breathed, that you can rely on What do you mean by God-breathed? I believe you can trust it, yes. Although there are script textual errors in certain places, there are slight discrepancies. So you do believe that demons manifest uh, around Jesus and the disciples and through the book of Acts and that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against demonic forces. So you do believe that. Because you had me confused because if someone came to me and said, I'm, I'm talking to my Sorry, dead can, grandmother. Sorry, can you back up a bit? Did you say, yeah. I don't believe in that, or I do? No, I said, you, you, you do. I, I do. asked if you did, I do. obviously you yes. do. Yeah, <clears throat> because if someone came to me and said, I'm talking to my dead grandmother, I, I would say, you're not. You're talking to a familiar spirit, and you need to, you need to submit to God, resist the devil, and you flee from Can him. I ask you why uh, you would like, say that she's not the dead grandmother? Because dead grandmothers don't float around. Nobody said they float around. I can't find any verses saying that. Um, if, you look at the died, if you look at the transfiguration, Jesus speaks to the deceased Moses. He's been dead over a thousand years. So we've got Jesus speaking to dead people here. So do you pray to Moses? I don't pray to Moses, but Jesus was speaking to him. But do you talk to Moses? I don't talk to Moses because I have no need to talk to Moses. So do you talk to any dead people that are floating around? If I, if, um, so my mother died in April this year, okay? I pray for my mother because I believe that she is still continuing a journey into God. That is so the very earliest Christian. And yes, sometimes I will say, oh, mum, you know, you never believe what happened today. I don't believe there's anything evil in what I've done. Firstly, Matt, I'm sorry, I'm sorry your mother died. My parents have passed on too, so Thank it's you. a very horrible thing to, to think. But if this is what I say to people who talk to dead relatives. So when you're talking to your dead relative and you fly across maybe to Paris on a 747 or whatever, are they in the plane with you or are they flying by the plane outside the window? Since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, I mean, I'm a physics teacher, so I'm a physicist. Right, I believe and I know that there is a hyperspace, there is a dimension above us that is not limited by the three-dimensional geographic bound binds that we have today. So why shouldn't my mother, if she wishes, which I don't think she would necessarily do, but why shouldn't she necessarily be there? I mean, they're not limited by the same bounds. When we die, we don't physically zip a billion light years away from here into outside of the universe. We're still part of the creation. So is your mother omnipresent like God? Does she see everything and know That's everything? putting words into my mouth. She's not omnipresent, no. Well, you can talk to her anywhere, anytime, day or night, and she's ready and waiting to listen to you? I wouldn't necessarily say that she's listening because she might not be there, just like I might say, oh, Joe and my wife, and she's not there. I'm, okay. I'm not actually seeking initiating contact with the dead. I'm just saying, oh, mum, you know, you'll never guess what happened today. Um, and yeah. and I'm not becoming dependent upon that, and that's the important bit when people go and seek mediums and that sort of stuff, right? We're not talking a dependency here. We're talking about an active awareness of the great cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on in the, our walk with Christ.
And the you know the two of you, it, it's interesting hearing you go back and and forth on this um, because these are these are obviously topics. Whether you're watching this or listening, and you're and you're a Christian or an atheist, wherever you are, these are things that people are experiencing, and these are two very different takes on you know on how to process that. And it was Angela, it was your story that sparked this conversation, uh, this part of the conversation. And as we're talking about you know Halloween, this is a time of year when these things come up. But I do, I do want to pivot into, you know, your testimony because you said it was your grandmother's death, really, that sparked this, obviously. And so, once you started going into this, because you talked about that ten-year period that this went on, how quickly did you sort of dive into the occult, and how did, what did that look like? Take us through some of those experiences. Yeah, so um, I guess I should mention that just because I'm just hearing the discourse back and forth. Um, I was in a, the way I would have perceived it then is that my grandmother, the, what I do genuinely believe heart and soul scripturally and just experientially, she, that was the demon. That was not her. She died. Um, and that, that demon brought me peace. I will say that, but it was very much so the embodiment of second Corinthians eleven fourteen. Satan masquerades as an angel of light because it was a false, it was a false peace. And it was a, it was a, a piece, if you will, that, that only led me, um, it was like a domino effect because it led me down this path of believing that I was able to commune with spirits like this and that I could actually help other people around me do the same thing. Um, so that kind of springboarded from mediums to cards, to crystals, to all the books on, you know, how I can develop my own quote psychic ability or talk to the dead, X, Y, Z. Um, and then that led to becoming interested in my own energy body. I don't know if you have this like on an audio, I'm using a lot of air quotes, my own energy body. Um, and, and, and when I say that this, uh, this was happening, this was happening over again, a 10 year period. So it was like a slow drip because I, I always say that Satan will give you, he doesn't just give you a chain and say here, he gives you links. And so that's really what it was for me. It was like one link at a time, very slow drip that I didn't realize what was happening, but I was desperate and I, and I thought I was being spiritual. I thought I was good. Like I mentioned before, I would have never called myself a witch ever. If I was pressed to call myself anything, it would have been a light worker. Um, you know, I started doing yoga. I lost a lot of weight, you know, because I was, my grandma was very heavy when she died. And I, I sort of adopted her habits as a young child because we were so close. And so when she died, it was amplified where I, I binge ate and all these things, but I wanted to really change the paradigm of that. So I got healthy, which led to yoga, but yoga was, was, was great for me because it was a combination of both the physical and the spiritual. I thought, well, I can have all the, the, the cool, you know, spiritual stuff with the crystals and the chakras and all of these things and also get healthy at the same time. So yoga became very quickly when I found it, my thing, I became a yoga teacher, certified yoga teacher. Did, and I was teaching people right up until the week of my salvation. Um, I got into astrology. Astrology became my niche. I had a I had a podcast where I would share weekly or biweekly rather new moon and full moon reports which was all with the intention of helping people on their quote self-healing journey. Um you know because I I believed that that the moon 
uh, had a profound influence over our lives and whatever zodiac season we were in had a profound influence. And as long as we attuned to those energies, that we would, you know, really be able to navigate through this human experience and follow our birth chart. And I, and this was, this is all like with the backdrop of, of believing that like my grandmother is one of my spirit guides leading me to do all these things and showing me to do all these things. Um, now that was like 10 years of, of new age, essentially before I got involved in new age, I, I grew up in the Catholic church very loosely because my grandparents were both Catholic but my mom never really, a single mom, never really adhered to the Catholic faith, but she wanted to kind of do right what she thought was right. So she would take me to church, but she wasn't, we weren't faithful with it. Um, I went to Catholic school. So I, I had a very, I would say, surface level understanding of Jesus. I, I was raised in the Catholic church. I was not raised in Christ, if that makes sense. Um, so what happened to me was I, after after having an experience in Catholic school, going to high school, got very depressed. I kind of always struggled with isolation my whole life, just being as an only child who did not have a foundation of Christ as the bedrock of my childhood. Um, and I had a single mom, so I, I never had a father, which is obviously God's design for, for everybody. Um, now I, I, I suffered with depression, I would say from seventh grade until 2021 when I got saved. And now I, I mentioned that because I, I want people to understand that grief and suffering and, and pain and trauma and depression lead to new age more often than not. And that's why I would err on the side of caution when I, when I hear things like, you know, we can commune in a sense with our deceased relatives um, as long as they bring us peace, because my grandmother was bringing me peace. My uncle who had committed suicide was bringing me peace because, and I thought that I could help my mom, you know, grieve the loss of her brother by helping her commune with him, things like that. And, and, and so I would just err on the side of caution, encouraging that of people. Um, now I know they need Jesus. They don't need to talk to or try and commune with or try and re reconcile anything with their deceased loved one. They need Christ because he heals the broken wounds. He's near to the brokenhearted and he resurrects us in new life. So anyway, I was very depressed is what I'm trying to say. Very depressed all throughout new age. I would get these moments of peace, these, these temporary highs as I call them, because all of new age is a spiritual narcotic. And, um, it got to a point where I was at the end of myself in 2021. I was 27 years old at the time, 29 now. And I was on my kitchen floor weeping. And, and I was, I, I was talking out loud, you know, I I've done it all. I've done all the yoga every day. I do the rituals every day. I meditate. I follow all the astrology. I do all the things I've read all the books. You know, I have all these spirit guides. I, I do everything right you know, I do everything I'm supposed to. I'm so spiritual. I'm so this, I'm so that. Why do I still come back to this? Why does it always lead back to this, this feeling of just wanting to be dead? And it was the first time. And, you know, Psalm says that deep calls out to deep. I called out to Jesus. I don't know where that came from other than that he's written on all of our hearts. I called out to Jesus. I said, Jesus, save me. And the next morning I woke up and I was completely delivered from depression. And that was the first time I recognized that the name of Jesus Christ was different from everything 
else that I had been doing for 10 years because it was the first real tangible difference. Like the heaviness was gone. And so that began a, like a very short journey. It was about a three or four month journey where I had the idea that I could be a new age Christian essentially. And I thought that Jesus could just be another one of my guides. He could be in my tool belt of spirituality. Oh, I'll read the Bible, you know, after I do yoga or, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do a crystal meditation, but this time I'll talk to Jesus when I do it. That's kind of the sort of mindset I had because I didn't, wasn't ready to give those things up. I, I hadn't repented. Um, I had just recognized that he was real. And so it got to a point, you know, I was reading scripture and scripture did what scripture does. I, I was, I was faced with Isaiah 47, where it speaks to the astrologers, how they cannot save themselves and they cannot save you and that they will burn. And when I read that, it was the first time I felt godly sorrow. I felt convicted convicted of my sin. I recognized, wow, I'm a sinner. Everything I've been doing, not just the past 10 years, but really my whole life was a rebellion against an almighty God that loves me and died for me. And I grieve him when I do these things. And I can't have both. I can't partake of the cup of the Lord and of the cup of demons, you know, and I I obviously didn't know that scripture then, but that's what I was, that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to have both and we don't serve a God of neutrality. You know, you're either on the broad road or you're on the narrow road. And I wanted to try and do both. But as soon as I read Isaiah 47 and and the Holy Spirit came upon me, I repented and I called my best friend. Now, this is a part of my testimony I like mentioning because for anyone watching, if you have any unsaved loved ones in your life, you got to be praying for them. You have to intercede for them. My best friend, she was Christian our whole lives. I always thought she was lame and judgmental, but I loved her. She prayed for me ceaselessly, and she got to kind of see the 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 harvest of that of those seeds that were planted and those prayers that were petitioned before the Lord all those years. So please pray for your lost loved ones. They are not out of reach of the Lord. Nothing is impossible for Him. We serve a a God of the impossible. And so I love mentioning that because without, you know, her prayers were the shield of faith. And I really see in hindsight how her prayers kept me from a lot of, a lot of things that I always try to do in new age, but I could never quite get there like other people could. And I really believe that was her prayers, you know, interceding on behalf of that. But I called her when I repented, I was sobbing and I said, I I need to stop. I need to stop yoga. I I have to stop teaching. I have to stop doing Reiki. I have to stop astrology. I'm going to quit this podcast that I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I need to give my life to God. I had never read Acts before, but I knew to burn everything. So I gathered all my tarot cards, all my books, all my tapestries, everything, and went to her house that night. And we had a bonfire and I burnt all of it. And what I couldn't get rid of, like, you know, can't burn crystals. Her dad was kind enough to take them to some sort of dump and, and he just took them away from me. But, um, yeah, that was that was the pivotal turning point where I confessed with my mouth, believe with my heart, Jesus was Lord. A year later, I finally got baptized, um, and I've just been on—I've really been on fire for the Lord ever since. It's there's a long story within that where my now husband—he was agnostic. He actually got radically saved, and then we got married, and now we're pregnant. And so the last year of our lives is completely different than anything that we had done together or apart for the last 14 years that we've known each other. And it's all because of Jesus. Can I just ask you, you know, there are a lot of people who are listening or watching right now and they may 
this may be so foreign to them, the idea of being saved, you know, being a Christian, or maybe they're desperate, they're they're looking for answers in some of the places you were looking for them. You know, a lot of people are trying to, they're going out looking for mediums, psychics, and this is the time of year, again, where this stuff is really kicked up into high gear. You know, what would you say to those people right now who who are who are looking and they're searching for an answer in your view for what you believe their solution would be? You're going to keep looking. It's a labyrinth. New age is a labyrinth. It's I always say it's a hamster wheel. Um, you're never going to actually achieve the enlightenment that, you know, new age is so popular for talking about. You're never going to achieve enlightenment because all of new age is essentially a self-savior complex and it completely eliminates the need for Jesus. And so what you're trying to do in new age is you're actually trying to achieve being born again but you can't because you're operating within the deadness of your sin. You're operating within 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 flesh that is going to hell if you don't repent, if you don't put your faith in Christ. And so it's never going to work. And a really popular term in new age is, you know, my truth. Every new ager is on their journey of my truth. A lot of my old new age friends are, are you know, now say like, I'm glad you found your truth, Angela. But it's not that I found my truth. It's that I found the truth. Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that that's exactly what he is. The new age is not the way. The new age is not the truth. And it is not the life. It is a deception. It is, it is a hamster wheel. It is pseudo-spiritual. And it's only going, as I said, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. Satan masquerades as an angel of light. New ages think they're all full of light and love. But you're really full of, of death and wickedness. And it, it, it doesn't have you recognize that you're a sinner. You don't, you don't see that when you're in new age. So you need to recognize that what you're doing is, is actually a sin against a perfectly holy God who loves you so much that he sent his only son, stretched out his arms to die for you, to bleed for you, to die for you because he loved you so much that he wanted to reconcile you back to himself. And what we're trying to do in new age is always reconcile ourselves to our higher self or to a higher state of consciousness. But Jesus is the one that rec that reconciles us back to the father, to the creator. And so I just really encourage you to just call out to Jesus and, and accept him as truth because he is. Well, I appreciate you sharing that journey. And we've moved to the point now of the show. We're actually at the end of the show here where we're going to have a couple of minutes here for just final thoughts. You know, I know a lot of us, we're hearing things maybe that we agree with, that we disagree with, or things that we want to leave people with in this conversation about Halloween, about evil, about um, how we even process some of these complex ideas and, and theologies. And so, yeah, Matt, I'll come to you first as we round out to a close. Any final thoughts from you? I think Christ is victor. That is the key point. Christ descended into Hades, preached the gospel that they might receive the Holy Spirit and be saved. That Christ saves to the uttermost. Okay, so, you know, it, all things are being reconciled to God, whether in heaven, on earth, or under the earth. That is Hebrew, Greek, underworld, the afterlife, basically. And so we can know that Christ has the keys of death and Hades, that we have, that he is the way to the Father. There are many ways to come to Christ, but he is the only way to the Father. We don't have to amp it up. Uh, we don't have to pretend that it is anything bigger than it is, because Satan will take the credit 
um, Satan isn't omnipresent. We need to remember that. Um, and that um, test everything. Test absolutely everything. And, you know, for not all comes, uh, not all spirits come from God. But that means that some do. Uh, if everything was a demon, then there is no test, is there? There's no test required. God doesn't deal in absurdities with these things. We need to make sure that if we have received some uh, a visitation, uh, then we to test it. Does it bring about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control? Against the law, against these, there's no law. Okay, we can be conscious that maybe we can pray for the dead, because that's what the Requiem Eucharist does. Um, and deliverance ministers who have prayed, uh, who have performed the Eucharist at places, find that that is the ultimate place where reconciliation takes place between humans and God. And so when we are having disturbances, get hold of somebody who can deal with these things. Um, and, and remember that we are dealers in truth. So we shouldn't be giving out information that is false, that is uh, misleading, that bears false witness against our neighbors, whether they're a witch or um, a general pagan or whatever. The information in tracts that we should give out at Halloween should be truth-filled, not full of mistakes and misinformation, because otherwise we are no better than those who peddle misinformation, and we don't deserve to be heard as uh, when we have the message of Christ. Ray, final thoughts from you. Yeah, I just like that in a way had me on this program, because Angela was so good, and what she said was so powerful. I was just entranced by uh, the truth of what she was saying, so... Play this again, listen to her, what she said about repentance and coming to Jesus, submitting to God, resisting the devil, being born again, truly born again. I love what she said about her Christian friend was lame and judgmental. That's what we're leveled at. If we're Christians, the world's going to think we're lame and we're judgmental, but all we are are people who love sinners and we want to see them come to everlasting life that's alone in Jesus. Angela, you shared your story with us there a little while ago, but as we close out here, you get the final word. Yeah, well, thank you for letting me share, and thank you for um, Ray and Matt for having this conversation with us as well. Um, I just, I kind of want to kind of bring it back around the barn just to the topic of Halloween because I feel like we all got really off track, but that's okay. That's kind of what happens when we have these conversations. Um, I want to just say, you know, we, it's true that we are victors in Christ. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And I, I would say that this speaks more to Christians than it does. And I don't expect anyone of the world to stop participating in things of the world before they know Christ. Um, but, but as Christians, you know, the scripture says like whatever is permissible is not necessarily beneficial. And so I would just encourage you to take it to the Lord. If, if this is a video you clicked because you're having kind of, maybe an internal battle with this topic. Should I be celebrating Halloween? Should I not be celebrating Halloween? Take it to the Lord. And as I've mentioned many times throughout this, this, this dialogue that, you know, what does it look like to die to yourself, to, to really yield to the Holy spirit and to really crucify that flesh? Um, and again, I, I like that we, we mentioned Philippians four, eight, that comes to mind, when I, when I, with the topic of Halloween, as well as 
Galatians 5.13, you know, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. We are free in Christ. And that is often what I hear most when it comes to Halloween. Like we're free, we're free. We don't have to be afraid. And it's not about being afraid. It's about actually in my, in my worldview with, with, with the scripture, embodying that freedom. We don't need to do these things because we are free. We don't need to look like the world in order to minister to the world. We are called to be set apart and not be conformed, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so if this is you and you're having this, this internal conflict within yourself, just take it to the Lord. I promise you that Holy Spirit will tell you what he wants you to do. And, and so I would just encourage you to listen to him not even any of us. Well, I want to thank you all for joining me today. We've got to leave it there today, but thanks to my guests, Angela Ucci, Ray Comfort, and Matt Arnold. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. As always, let us know what you think about the show today. We can't wait to hear from you. And until next time, goodbye. Thank you for joining us on Unbelievable, the show that aims to get you thinking. We would love to hear your thoughts. Do get in touch. You can email us at unbelievable at premier.org.uk or leave a comment on our Twitter account at unbelievablefe or on the Premier Unbelievable Facebook page. And do check out our website, premierunbelievable.com. Registering there gives you access to all of our web content and our newsletter, through which you can gain access to hours of exclusive bonus content. That's premierunbelievable.com. And if you register or sign up for our newsletter there, you will automatically be entered into our competition to win a free book. If you enjoy listening to Unbelievable, please do consider rating and reviewing it on your podcast platform. Thank you for listening and see you next week.